We turn then in God's word to Psalm 19, the psalm that we have just sung from, Psalm 19, and we'll be reading the entire psalm tonight. was written to be sung, as we learn, because it was written to the choir master. It is a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and altogether, and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You have fearfully and wondrously made the universe and us. We are made in your image, with the heavens proclaiming your glory. May we never lose the awe, the wonder about who you are. May we praise and glorify you always. We pray for Pastor Bob, that you will give to him clarity of mind and speech, and give to us an open heart to hear the truths from your breathed out word. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll look at three things from uh, our text and from the Belgic Confession this evening. First of all, the, the plain teaching that we have just read, that God reveals himself in creation. Secondly, that God reveals himself in Scripture. Then thirdly, the exclusions this makes. If these are the two means by which God reveals himself, there are certain things that are being excluded. 
And it is the exclusion that cost those who confessed the Belgic Confession back in the 1560s their lives. It is not so much what it does say as much as what it doesn't say. And I might also add, there comes the pertinent point for us in our world today as well. That this needs to be our confession to the world today as well. God reveals himself by two means, two means only. The creation and scripture. Let's deal with creation first. It's pretty obvious, is it not, when you open Psalm 19, that this is what the psalmist is telling us. That the creation reveals God. It is a revelation. God has so created this world, God has so created this universe, He has so created mankind, that He is, as as the Belgic says, giving to us a book, a picture book, by which we can turn page after page after page. And every page upon which creation is displayed, God is speaking. He is speaking through the pictures of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. See, they speak. All that universe, the orbiting of the planets, the movement of the sun, the way in which the moon works with gravitational force, the countless miles that are out there, the light years of the distance of the stars. Speak. Their words upon a page. It is God saying, I exist. I am. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day, night after night, reveals knowledge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 plus or minus days a year, creation continues to speak. It doesn't just speak to Coopersville. It doesn't just speak to San Antonio, Texas. It doesn't just speak to Red Mesa, Arizona. It doesn't just speak to Tokyo, Japan. It speaks around the globe. That picture book of creation that God has given to us. How can I know God? This incomprehensible, simple, spiritual being that we call God. How can God say, here, here's my book. 
Look through my book. Look at the mountains. Look at the seas. Look at the creatures, great and small. Look at man. It is a revelation that I exist. Look at verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. That's the awesome thing about creation, isn't it? You don't have to put it in a language. It doesn't have to be in English. It doesn't have to be in Spanish. Creation is its own language. It is its own speech. That revelation of God in creation is not limited to a particular group of people. It's not limited to the educated or the uneducated. It's not limited to the rich or poor. Creation speaks to all. That's what the psalmist is saying. That voice of creation, that voice of God as he speaks through the book of creation goes out throughout all the earth, verse 4. They're words, they're words. See, whatever we see out there in creation, it's a word of God to us. It's God revealing himself, his existence, his power. His divinity to this world. But there are other scriptures as well that confirm this. You page back to to Psalm 8, for example. We have these words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foe to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Notice the psalmist isn't going, I see nothing up there. I see just a bunch of little twinkling lights. And he says, this is God's glory being revealed. Go to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. We'll start at verse 3. The voice of the Lord, speech. God is speaking. How is he speaking? His voice is over the waters when the God of glory thunders. The voice, the speech, the words of the Lord are powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. He breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord, verse 9, makes the deer give birth strips the forest bare, and all in his temple cry, glory. See, when we see and hear God's words in creation, 
God is revealing himself. Every sunset we see, every sunrise, every noon, every cloud, every drop of rain, every flake of snow, every movement of a branch in the wind, God is revealing himself in a book. The book of creation. We could go, for example, to Job. Uh, Job, at the end of, of the book, God comes to him with, with just question after question after question. And they're all about creation. Because God is coming and saying, I'm the one who rules over all of this. See, behold, know, and understand. But you need to go to Romans chapter 1. Because here, okay, you know, people might argue, yeah, you know, that's Old Testament, that's psalm language. You know, even Job is, is those passages are written in, in a song-like, a psalm-like. People might say, oh, that's just poetic license being used. Well, then we, then we need to come to Romans chapter 1. Pick it up at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now, where has that been clearly perceived since the creation? The answer is not the word. Because the word doesn't begin... Until Moses. Moses is the first author. We're thousands of years into human history by that point. So what is Paul referring to? That God has made it plain. God has clearly shown this. Where? How? Ever since the creation of the world. Where? In the things that have been made. Creation. Is God's revelation of himself. It's all around us. The problem is. Man. Disregards that truth. It's not a problem with the creation. And it's not a problem with the revealer. It's not that God has failed. It's not that creation has failed. It's man purposely suppresses that truth. 
See, in reality, there are no atheists. There are only those who suppress the truth. There are only those who, even though God has clearly shown himself in creation, say, I do not believe it, I do not accept it. I look for another answer, I look for another alternative. I will not accept the explanation that this creation, this created world, this created universe is the revelation of God of himself. I will not accept that truth. I will put that truth down. I will tuck that truth behind me. Look at verse 18 of Romans 1. Who suppress the truth. Push it down. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So God displays himself. God reveals himself. God reveals that he exists. God reveals that he is through creation. Part of the problem is sometimes when we come to this text, we think Paul is being exhaustive. You say, what do you mean by that? That all creation can do is reveal that God's power and God's divinity. Now those are just the two Paul pulls out. Let me go on. Creation reveals that God exists. Psalm 19.1, Romans 1.19. And is himself uncreated. Acts 17.24. Creation reveals that God is actually the creator. Acts 14.15. And that God is all wise. Psalm 104.24. And that God is good. Acts 14.17. Creation reveals that God is the sustainer, Acts 14, 16, 17, 25. That God is righteous, Romans 1, 32. Has a sovereign will, Acts 17, 26. Creation reveals that God is the Lord of all men, Acts 17, 24. And has absolute standards of right and wrong, Romans 2, 15. Creation reveals that God is self-sufficient. Acts 17, 25, and has, is imminent, Acts 17, is eternal, Psalm 93, 2, and should be worshipped, Acts 14, 15, Acts 17, 23. Creation reveals that God is great, Psalm 8, 3, and 4, majestic, Psalm 29, 4, that God is all-powerful, Psalm 29, 4, Romans 1, 20, and will judge all men. Romans 2, 15 through 26. That's what creation reveals. Paul here is simply saying, let me summarize it. Creation reveals the divinity and the power of God. Now, I made copies of all of that, so that uh, they're in the back if you want to make use of those. Those are not my work, okay? Dr. Kim... Riddlebagger has, has come up with that, and then he follows that with this paragraph. From this list of what can be known about God through that which God has made, it should be clear 
that general revelation or creation fulfills the purpose for which God gives it, which is to leave men and women without excuse. Creation is a beautiful book which reveals its creator. But again, let's be clear here. After the fall of the human race into sin, creation is insufficient to leading us to a saving knowledge of God. Because the book of nature does not disclose grace. The book of nature does not disclose the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, notice what Paul does here in Romans chapter 1. What happens? Because people suppress that truth, they turn and they worship images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for the created thing. So that they are without excuse. In other words, creation is actually a judgment upon mankind. All men stand guilty before God. Why? Because they suppress the truth about God in creation. All men. This is the text of Scripture. It's not that there are some exceptions. See, when God creates a human being, He gives us a soul. It's one of the things science will never discover, never find out. They'll analyze in their microscope, they'll never come across it. Scripture teaches that we are not only body, but we are also soul. There is implanted within man a knowledge of God that comes at our creation. But from the moment of our conception, we fight against that. It is a struggle from the moment of our conception on. Why? Because we are human. And to be human means to be a sinner. To be a sinner means that we are opposed to God and we refuse to acknowledge God in this created world. See, it isn't like we come out of the womb, we live five, six, seven years, and then we go, I don't think I like God anymore. And we suppress the truth. This is the way we are in our conception. So that all men are without excuse. Because we all suppress that truth. So we look at creation and we fail to see the God of creation, and we come under God's judgment. It is insufficient to lead us to salvation. So God, in his mercy, reveals himself a second way. He reveals 
himself in the words of Scripture. God comes to man. He speaks. Not in the pictures of creation, but in the words of an actual book. God-inspired words. God's truth. In the weeks to come, we'll we'll investigate more of what that means. But for now, we're we're centering on this idea of, of his revelation. See, that's why Psalm 19 was the text for for this evening because that's where the psalmist takes us, right? He takes us from this this creation in the beginning of the psalm to the change that comes about at verse 7. He's been talking about creation, that revelation of God. But now, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. What do they do? They make wise the simple. What does the perfect law of God do? It revives the soul. What do you revive? You revive something that is what? Dead. We are dead in our trespasses in sin... But God revives the soul. How does he revive the soul? By his word. He reveals himself to us so that we live. Or we could go to that passage of 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God breathing out himself. It is the breath of revelation. He is telling us who he is. But he not only tells us who he is, he tells us of that which he has done. That's what scripture is. It is the revelation of salvation. It is the revelation of grace. It is the revelation of mercy. It is the revelation of forgiveness. It is the revelation of atonement. God is revealing from beginning to end our need of that salvation, but also the means of that salvation. He is revealing to us his will for our lives. Go to another passage. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Excuse me. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's Peter's point? Christ has come. And God is revealing your means of salvation to you. Why do I need to be saved? Because you suppress the truth of God in creation. See, contrary to the popular view that is even found within Christianity today, if a pagan is sincere in their paganism, God will save them. Because they're being sincere. And that's all God's looking for, is sincerity. He doesn't care if you're sincere about Buddha, if you're sincere about a star, if you're sincere about the sun, or you're sincere about the moon, or you're sincere about him, or if you're sincere about Allah. It really doesn't matter. What matters is how sincere you are. be as sincere you want and worship anything else you want but you're under condemnation and you're under God's judgment and the only hope of your salvation is Jesus Christ and you don't find him on a mountain you don't find him in a tree the only place God reveals Christ is in his word. The call of the church of Jesus Christ is to bring the word of God, the gospel. What good does it do to give a person a drink if they're going to go to hell? Oh, you ought to give so people can dig wells. How about give so people can hear the gospel and then dig a well? See, man's greatest need is not food. Man's greatest need is not water. Man's greatest need is not to put on some western-looking clothing. Man's greatest need is not to sort out some social disorders that they have in their tribe. Man's greatest need is not that he stops being a cannibal. Man's greatest need is that he knows Jesus Christ. And that revelation of Christ is found only in the gospel. 
And this is what God is passionate about revealing to us. Jesus didn't command the church, go into the world and heal everybody's diseases. Go into the world and make disciples. It's not that those other things are not are unimportant. And it's not that those other things are, are not something that we ought to be concerned about. And, and that, that in their proper place have a, have a great purpose and role. Yes. But in today's society, the gospel has become secondary, third, fourth, or we never even get to the gospel. It's all about being nice, loving human beings. My friends, I have news for you. There will be nice, loving human beings in hell because they didn't know Jesus Christ. Because what could have been known about God God clearly revealed to them in the creation, but they chose to suppress that truth. As sinful creatures, as sinful men and women and children and babies, they suppress the truth of God and exchange the glory of God for images. They're under God's condemnation. Bring them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But understand now why this becomes so important. Why does confessing that lead to someone wanting to kill you? Why would somebody want to cut out your tongue for confessing that God reveals himself in creation and that God reveals himself in the word? Because what are you leaving out? Well, you're leaving out, first of all, that great object of reason, are you not? Man himself. You see, I can't discover God on my own. I'm, I'm going to go off and sit in a monastery and I'm going to discover God there. No, you aren't. You're a sinful human being. You're a sinful creature. You will never discover God on your own. God has to reveal himself to you. And God has told us he reveals himself in two ways. One in creation, but that only leads to your judgment and condemnation. The other revelation is in scripture, and that's the only place you're going to find grace. But so many want to contemplate God and think that because of their human reason, because of their human intellect, that somehow they're going to get there. This is what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he, when he comes to those very arrogant people of the 
of the, of the town of Corinth who are all filled with themselves and filled with their great knowledge. And he says, you know what you need? It's not your wisdom, it's God's foolishness. What you need is, is not more intellect, not more reasoning, not more books. What you need is the cross. Foolishness. Preaching of the cross. Preaching the gospel. It's the only means of salvation. But you see where this really steps on toes? Remember who's the power of the day? got Charles the king, right, Holy Roman Empire, emperor, bestowed by that title by the pope. The pope, the head of the Catholic Church, who can speak what? Revelation. Who can convey God. In that which he says. See in essence the Catholic Church of the day of 1562 is saying. God can be known by three ways. Creation. Scripture. But also the Pope. And the reformers are saying. No way. No now, we take seriously, see, that which Paul said in Galatians, that even if an angel from heaven were to appear, we would not listen to another gospel. So when a pope declares that which is contradictory to that which is the word of God, we call it heresy. Better be prepared to die. And they were. But you see that, that idea that, that somehow it's through the church or through the Pope. You know, it's the church who gets to decide that which is revealed. God decides how he's going to be revealed, and he has told us he reveals himself through creation, which only leads to our judgment and condemnation, and the gospel. These are God's two means. No other means. Think about that. It means when Muhammad was getting inspired, he really wasn't. Because God reveals himself in only two means, creation and the word. It means, as our high schoolers can well attest to, that when Joseph Smith discovered his golden plates under the tree that the angel Moroni directed him to, and that we have to accept those golden plates as God's additional revelation, we say, no way. No. That's heresy. That's wrong. That's not the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's another revelation. It means that when Charles 
Taz Russell believes that he received revelations from God about the end of the world, we say, wrong. God reveals himself by only two means, creation and the word. Not in your dreams, not in your visions, not in your personal revelations. It means that when Mary White received her visions, dreams, we say, no, God reveals himself by only two means. When David Koresh says, I have received revelations from God, we say, no. And you say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I say to you, watch your children, my friends. If you do not teach them the truth, they'll be following the David Koresh's of this world. They'll be following those people who are saying, oh, I spoke with God last night and God talked to me and God told me to do this. And if you don't think that's happening, you're fooling yourself because that's exactly what is happening to some of your children. That's the line they're hearing. See, this isn't old dull stuff. This is today. The people who say, oh, I had a word from God today. Really? We as a Reformed Church say, no, you did not have a word from God today. Because even if an angel from heaven were to come, don't accept anything beyond that which God has revealed himself in. Maybe it's not just our children. Maybe it's us too. Because if this is where God has revealed himself in his grace, does it mean I should be spending time with him? Say, well, I, God reveals himself in creation. Without the spectacles of scripture, you're going to misread it. And it's only going to lead to your condemnation. It's only through the lens of scripture that you and I say, the heavens declare the glory of God. I didn't come up with that. I never thought of that, and I never would have thought of it. It's only because in his grace, God has revealed that to you and I. But it took him reviving my soul. It took him making me alive. It took being born again in order that I can see, in order that you can see God's truth, God's revelation here and here only. Do we see grace?
And here in your own life, do we see perfectly our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Father, thank you. We think this is just an old document, this Belgic Confession. But it really has much to say to our day and our generation, our society today. Whether it's the Scientology of many of the movie heroes of our day and of our generation. Whether it's the cultic practices of the Mormon church around us. Or whether it's the false religion of the followers of Muhammad. We still stand today on the truth of your word. That you've revealed yourself in creation. And most beautifully, most graciously in your word. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.